A very warm welcome to the Kudos community. Kudo is a global leading provider of monetization applications for global users. It's creating a cleaner, more equitable world by making use of billions of dollars of underutilized hardware from around the world and then redistributing it for the betterment of communities and organizations. A big, big thank you to our sponsors AMD, a multinational semiconductor Goliath developing GPUs and CPU processors across the globe for gamers, designers, service providers, pretty much all walks of life. And to Algorand, currently building the technology that will accelerate the convergence between centralized and traditional finance by enabling the creation of next-gen financial products. For more information and to support the Kudos podcast, why not check out our sponsors in the description below. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our latest Kudos cast. This is episode two, would you believe it? Season two. As voted by our Telegram and Twitter community, the Kudos cast will be a weekly podcast covering a broad range of topics. Today, we're going to hear from Dave Connor, and Dave Connor is the Blockchain Business Development Lead for API3. How are you, Dave? I'm good, thanks. Nice to be on this, Pete. I appreciate uh, your time and look forward to sharing more about API3 with the Kudos community. Brilliant. Absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, thank you for joining. I know it's uh, it's quite late in the evening here in UK and you've been traveling down from the, the north all day and I've uh, managed to grab you and, and get some time. So much appreciated. And I'm sure the community will love what you have to hear as well. So welcome to the show. So before we jump into uh, the conversation, if you could introduce yourself uh, and also API3, that would be brilliant. Cool. Okay. So uh, it's nice to be on this. Thanks very much, Pete. Uh, my name is Dave. I lead the blockchain-focused business development for API3. Um, API3 is an Oracle project, but it's one that's focused more on having the data providers run their own Oracle. And it's set up to be, firstly, DAO-governed, so you don't have governance as a point of centralization. And secondly, very scalable across blockchains. So we're aiming to natively provide data to a lot of different chains. I think we support over 15 at the moment. And as we kind of get nearer to having um, the final audits in place for everything going to production uh, rather than just test nets. We're looking to try to reach out to more and more communities to get people aware of what we're doing and what data we have and how they can build with API 3 and help create Web 2 uh, like applications on a variety of different blockchains. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if you're familiar with the term Bader Meinhof when you hear something once and then all of a sudden, and in the space of a week, it feels like you've, you've heard it 30 different times. and Maybe just a bit more receptive to it, but um, you know when we first met um, yourself and your colleague Ben as well. So Ben Carvel, he's uh, over in Lisbon at the moment. I hear on um, you know, one of the I'm going to say work jollies, but on on, <laughs> on a business trip. But it, it was that was the first time that I'd heard of API three. Um, but then again, within a week, you know, I'd, I'd heard so much about you, and you know all. Uh, all very complimentary as well. And since then, when we've been going to events, your names have been popping up. People are saying, "Are oh, you working with API three? I've seen your logo on websites and everything." So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's great to it's great to have you here. We're, we're you know we're eager to learn a little bit more about API three. But we want to talk about um, kind of data oracle uh, and oracle services in general as well. So I think that's an area of blockchain which is highly used. I mean, you have um, other data oracle providers out there like Chainlink, and we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit about comparison data. But, um, you know, to, to, the, to, the, to the listener, to the, un, uh, I was going to say uneducated, but it's not very fair, but to, to someone that hasn't heard about a data oracle before, could you just kind of give a little bit of a brief overview of what that is? 
Yeah, perfectly. So um, Data Oracle, the term Oracle is nothing to do with the software company Oracle. Mm. Um, a Data Oracle is a term that refers to, it kind of calls back the ancient Greek where an Oracle was somebody who could receive the word of the gods and bring it to men. And in the, in the blockchain context, the term Oracle is used because blockchains natively can't see anything going on outside the blockchain. So you have Ethereum, you have most blockchains won't know um, crypto pricing, they won't know weather data, they won't know anything other than transactions and token movements on the chain itself. So the idea for an oracle is that the oracle is the person who brings kind of the, the information of the gods to people and bridges these worlds. So that's how the term has come to be used in blockchain. Um, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm just going to pause you right there because the information from the gods and pass it to the men, that's the first time I've heard that explanation for oracles. That's, that's brilliant. I'm using it. Thank you. Yeah, no, that, that's where it comes from. That's why it's called yeah. Oracle. I don't know who came up with it, but it's I, I, cool. I always thought it was the Oracle of um, the Matrix, but now, you know, now that's where the Oracle of the Matrix came from. It, it, like, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's tie it all in. Just let's, let's go back a little bit. And um, I'm interested to find out how you got involved in this, uh, this rapidly innovative space of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, rapidly innovative is exactly the right word. As you follow blockchain, I find more now than when I started, it becomes really hard to keep track of everything that's going on. So you end up keeping focus on a narrower and narrower subsection of it as everything else grows, because otherwise you lose track even of the one part that, you, that you're most aware of. Um, but yeah, my, my time in blockchain stretches back probably to 2013 uh, when I got loosely involved through uh, Dogecoin when that was first released. And then around that time, there was a kind of native... Um, a native ability to issue tokens on Bitcoin was developed around then called Colored Coins. And the same functionality was ported over to Dogecoin. And that was kind of the first time I'd seen anything other than just transactions um, from blockchain. It, it was essentially just a shared ledger. So you could tell trustlessly how much somebody else had and transfer units of value, but you couldn't really do anything else interesting. So that, that got my interest, but nothing really came of it. Nothing was developed. And I think they forked the ability to do that out in a later um, client update. So after that, I, I lost a little bit of interest. And then when Ethereum started to be released and worked on, that got me more interested too, because at that point, it wasn't so much that you could do the token thing again. It was the possibility of not just having trustless transfer of value. It was trustless compute, which I thought was really interesting. So you could develop an application. Anybody in the world can use it. It will always execute the same way. You're not trusting the person who's running it. Um, and I, I felt like that was a really really clever, really interesting use for blockchain. But at the same time, it was pretty siloed because of the Oracle, well, not the Oracle problem, because of the issue of not being able to see off-chain data. So following the development of that, I, I got much more interested around 2017 when kind of the first crop of Oracle projects um, released their white papers and started releasing product. Uh, and I worked with a few friends at the time. So we, we started, I think, late 2017, early 2018 and to work out what products would help people build applications that run on blockchain, but can see real world data. And a lot of this comes down to kind of why, why you'd want to use real world data. Um, and if you're not aware at the moment, most of the applications that you use or you interact with, say Uber or Deliveroo or um, Uber, well, particularly rather than Uber Eats, Uber is quite a nice example because an API can be thought of not just as data, but as a way of interfacing with 
certain protocols and certain applications that exist. So if you have an Uber app and you want to call an Uber, Uber can be approximated with a collection of, of a few APIs. So you'd need a communications API so that whenever your taxi is nearby, it will text you and say your taxi is nearby. It needs a, a mapping data API so you can see where you are, where your taxi is. It needs a, a way of interfacing with your location. That's normally done via an API as well. And then that will tell you how far you've traveled. And then that works out how much you have to pay. And then that's taken via a payment API. And so with these APIs, you have a product that's worth billions in lots of continents over the world, lots of countries, but it's also subject to um, quite a lot of regulatory crackdowns. I think a lot of taxi operators have quite a, quite a hefty control over the legislature in their city. So they can censor it. They can say, well, Uber, you can't deploy in this city. But if you had these same APIs available, and this is just one example, um, you could create a decentralized version of Uber that would run on Ethereum, run on Kudos, run on any blockchain out there, would perform the same functionality, but couldn't be closed down and could be interacted with by anybody who had access to that blockchain. And it, it can all be done in a completely trustless, decentralized way. Smart contracts would automate most of the backend jobs away too. So in theory, something like this, you could build in a much cheaper way because you don't need a huge company behind it. It could be done with a few developers. So, okay, and that that's kind of that thing got me pretty interested in like the the potential. And the Uber example is a fairly long way down that line. So we thought, what we need to do to try to get things like this able to be built is get the APIs to the developers, because with the initial crop for projects, you had the potential of getting an API on chain, but that process was still fairly nebulous and fairly woolly. Like you had to find the provider, you had to create custom software to connect the API to an Oracle node. You then either had to run the node yourself or find somebody else who'd run it for you and then connect that to your application. So it wasn't ideal. And we set about creating a marketplace that abstracted a lot of that away from people. So you could go on the marketplace and with a line of code, integrate an API into an application you were making and do that uh, very easily without having to do any of the business development side of things. Ultimately, we felt that the solution we built wasn't, wasn't optimal though. The issue of having to use a third-party Oracle meant that you had like these, these third parties effectively, because you're giving, they're calling the API for you, then they write the data on chain. And that's, that's the definition of an Oracle. So there's also a problem associated with Oracles called the Oracle problem where if you have to trust this third party to put data on chain, that's a point of failure. You don't want with blockchain to have a trusted third party because if they control the data going on chain, they then control how your application executes. So in a trustless Uber example, if, if the API that said how far you traveled put in a million miles, they could in theory drain a bank account. And that's a pretty absurd example, but it's why you don't want there to be a, a third party that sits there that has the capability of doing it. We were working around that and we actually built this first marketplace back in 2018 and released in 2019. We used Chainlink Oracles to build it originally, but we felt that there were a few problems with the model and the third party side is one thing. You can abstract the way around that by using a number of APIs, or sorry, by a number of third parties and aggregating between them, but that gets quite gas intensive to do. And these third parties are all pretty known nodes who know each other. So if they wanted to collude, it's fairly trivial, and it becomes very difficult to prove that. So um, we weren't really happy with that as a model. So we felt that what we'd like to do is to iterate what the next generation of Oracle would look like. And if you take that back to the Oracle problem, 
the Oracle problem we we realized was misposed. So the Oracle problem assumes you need to use a third-party Oracle, when actually, if you get the data provider to run the Oracle, you don't have that problem. So in all of the Oracle projects, the data provider is assumed to be the source of truth. So the node operator's job is just to write that data to the blockchain. If you give the data provider the ability to do that themselves, you can have this nice transparent source. You can see exactly where the data comes from, see how it's used on chain, and you don't have these, these third parties that conclude and Sybil attack a, like a data source, in effect. So we released that, and effectively, that's where we are now. So we're, we have the pre-release, uh, no, sorry, not pre-release. We have the pre-alpha version of AirNode out now. We're working on more functionality for the next release of it and getting all of that finalized for production usage. Okay. I mean, that was that was a very thorough answer. Thank you very much, Dave. I've learned a lot through that. So, I mean, so let, let's, let's take some of that. So you, you gave the example of Uber uh, and how that uses APIs to get uh, sources of data into the application for it to be able to trigger actions effectively, you know, whether that's going to be payments, whether that's tracking of where the car is or notifying the customer where the car is is, is going to be. Uh, location-wise. Now, uh, API Web3, API3, which is, you know, I'm, I'm making a little bit of assumption here, but, you know, where, no, that, that's where, exactly where the name come came from. from. Yeah. How, how how exactly are you getting, I mean, you mentioned the air node then, so how are you getting that data on-chain then into the web, kind of Web3 sphere? How does that differ? Okay, so that, that's actually quite a good question as well, because in creating an Oracle that the data providers can run, you want it to have exactly the same uptime as their API that, to the point where there's no point having better uptime because if the API is down, then there's no point not returning any data from it if the Oracle is still there. Um, and you don't want your Oracle to not be available if the API is up and could be responding. Like the, the data, like the response should be exactly the same. So we created a, like a cloud provider agnostic Oracle that can be run in the data provider's existing cloud infrastructure. So that way, if the API is up, the Oracle is also up and can be used to serve data. And you don't have to trust a third-party company to run it for you. It's designed to be, um, be essentially maintenance-free. So, And also, the, the other kind of compliance thing is that a lot of data providers are very interested in providing data to blockchain. But if you run one of the first-generation Oracle nodes, you probably need to have gas wallets that you top up you probably have to receive payments in a token um, that you then would have to convert into dollars or whatever your local currency is and take out. So there are compliance issues around that that a lot of people don't like. And if you're supplying data over third-party oracles instead of running your own, then you also have this issue where they, if you're providing data that would need to be um, need to be GDPR compliant or need to only be visible to the people you want to see it, then if you're doing that through a third-party Oracle, you would then also need to GDPR audit the third parties. Whereas with a first-party Oracle node, which we have GDPR audited and it's it's completely compliant, companies can run that in their own infrastructure, know that it's not exposing their customers' data to anybody else, and know that any data they want to put to the blockchain goes straight there without it being exposed anywhere else in the meantime. Fantastic. Okay, so so to put that into an example, let's let's take the Kudos Network, for example. Um, you know, We're going to be working with API 3, uh, one of your air nodes is going to be within the the network, and that will then mean that all of the developers that are within the Kudos network, and currently we're in we're in public testnet, so Project Artemis. Um, so all of those developers will therefore have, uh, once the air node goes live, access to a directory of trustless data sources. Is that correct? If I 
I got that correct? Yeah. So the way that our scaling across networks works is that once we once we have the smart contracts used to uh, interface with AirNodes deployed to a network, developers in that network can access any of the data providers in their ability to provide data directly to their DAP. So the way the way this would work is, let's say you have a parametric insurance, a parametric weather insurance DAP, and you need data about how, uh, like the millimeters of precipitation that it's been in London, because for some reason you want to give money to people, you shouldn't be insuring against rain in London. It's a bad idea. Um, but you you have this idea for a completely unsustainable DAP, and you build it, and. This way, we give you a choice of different weather data providers that you can call. Um, currently, there'll be a big list of APIs on our website. We're making a way that people can either subscribe to them by locking up API3 tokens to subscribe, or we are going to have a way that people can speak to API providers directly. Because part of this is that the payment and the deployment side should be trustless as well. So. We don't want API providers to only be able to monetize what they're doing through us. They should be able to do this themselves too. And we think a lot of that is is something that's important to get providers on chain, have data widely available and not be a single point of failure in the whole system. So we're also building this out so that everything everything can run in different ways. We're making everything easier um, and we're looking at products to improve the user interface around that as well. And how, how would you ensure the legitimacy if you're bringing on another new data provider um, and then feeding that you know through into your AirNode service? How, how do you prove the legitimacy of that data provider? So proving legitimacy is an interesting angle. Um, or, or, uh, it's, pro- it's probably better to say not necessarily legitimacy because some of these would be big providers, but maybe the accuracy yeah. of their data is a better way. To yeah, accuracy is also a very like, a slightly vague concept when it comes to data, because if you have a price given by, uh, let's go to price data for this, because it's quite an interesting one with accuracy. Say you use a like an aggregation of aggregators for price versus going to one exchange and using the price from one exchange. I'm not suggesting either one of these is, is necessarily better. If you go to that exchange pricing, that's the price you could buy the coin for. So that is absolutely the price. And But if you have an aggregation, then maybe the aggregator isn't actually a price you can get the coin for anywhere. So which of those two is more accurate? And like, it, accuracy is, is difficult. It's a difficult thing to quantify. So I think the word says, how do we guarantee the data is accurate? So for a start, what we have right now is, is a very open way that developers can choose which API they want to use. So if you wanted to have a weather insurance app, you could say, I'm this weather insurance DAP is settled by World Weather Online. And then people can see that the data is coming from that API. People can do their own research to find out the World Weather Online are used by big corporate clients like Pepsi and say, actually, these guys are, are legit. We think that having a weather insurance contract settled by them is probably fine. Developers could also, if they wanted to, build an aggregation out of different data providers to settle things. So they could say, we want to use World Weather Online and another data provider and we'll aggregate the rainfall depth. And then that sort of feeds into resolving the contract. And I guess ultimately, if they want to do that, that depends on um, gas costs to do it. And also probably the TVL that's going to be secured by it. Because realistically, these API providers have real world reputations that are on the line as well. And everything here is traceable. You can see which API providers providing the data. You can see what the data is when it's supplied to the blockchain. And you can see how the DAP resolves that basically. 
So if if they try to interfere with the system, it's very obvious. And to give you a kind of example of the kind of values at stake, um, CoinMarketCap was bought by Binance a couple of years ago for $400 million. So if you're an API provider and you make a living based on providing accurate data, that's worth a lot of money. And when it can be proven that you're trying to interfere with that, that will cause problems for you. And you also have the, the flip side is here, if you go back to thinking about this in a third-party Oracle way, if they try to do the same thing, you can't necessarily see what APIs are used. So Chainlink, Band, they don't publicize the API providers that are used. And the API providers could still decide to provide wrong data, but there's much less redress because it's not public that they've done that. And it could be assumed that the oracles are causing a problem. The oracles themselves have no way of cross-checking what the API is telling them against other APIs. So that, that's not. But that's, that's a big key papers. differentiator yeah. between between yourselves and you know Chainlink Band and, and some of the others out there. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely think so because I mean Chainlink do have some first-party oracles. I know it's something Band has said that they're exploring, but Chainlink, I think at the time of about seventeen eighteen, we have over one hundred and fifty, and we've been around for two years less. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of that's because our Oracle is very easy to run, and we've done a lot of work with data providers designing it. So, yeah. okay, that sounds great. I mean, so I mean to summarise that really, uh, trusted brands but trustless technology. Uh, yeah, to- and also there's there are different products that we're building as well. So if you're using a single API, then the brands are visible, and you have the real world reputation kind of backing that up. But we're also building products using these APIs that are that, that are governed by DAOs. So, for instance, take data feeds where you have a like a live, constantly updated on-chain price reference. Currently, the existing Oracle projects that are around have that governed by a centralized team, and we we realize that centralized governance is a point of centralization. If you have to trust that the team are doing everything the right way, then I would consider that to be a like a central point of failure. So. We're creating DAO-governed data feeds that will use these transparent API providers. So you can see exactly how the aggregation takes place, exactly what APIs are being used, and you can see the governance logic behind that as well. So everything's out there and it's as open and as decentralized as it can be. Okay. And a DAO, so just for those that aren't sure what a DAO is, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. So are you uh, so you know everything is is kind of community voted to a certain degree. So in that case, for the new API. Uh, data providers that you're bringing on board? Do the, do the community have to vote for each one to, to come in? No, they don't have to. So the key thing here is any any data provider could run Airnode, and that's absolutely fine. So you could spin up an API and decide, I want to run Airnode, I want to provide data to blockchain. But the DAO, when the DAO is creating a product using data, the DAO would be expected to do background research into the providers and choose ones that haven't existed for less than 24 hours with anonymous domain registration data, et cetera, et cetera. So like that's, and that's quite an important factor. And we do have some pretty big names providing a lot of kinds of data. So I, I don't think that's going to be a problem in the real world. And in theory, again, with third-party Oracle solutions, they could choose to provide data from a similarly like, dodgily run API, but there's no visibility over it. Okay. Uh, and what, what's the, just kind of the, the the broadness of scope? You know, all of these different data providers you've got coming in. What markets do they cover, or what topics do they cover? Uh, I mean, finance. If if I kind of give you a few examples and see if you kind of nod your head to them, you know, finance, um, pricing data, uh, location data, weather data. You mentioned. What about things like sports? Yeah, we have sports data as well. Okay. 
So th there's lots of different types. The, probably the best way of checking them out is if you go to api3.org slash alliance, that lists all of the different data providers. So you can have a look and click through it. I think if we don't have it live now, it'll be live soon where you can check by category as well. Um, so that's something that's worth having a look. And then if you're interested in using any of this data in your DAP, um, we'll have it so that you can get in contact with us very easily. And then we can set this all up and help you work everything out with the data providers as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much for that. And uh, yeah, if you're a developer and you're listening to this, Airnode will be coming to the Kudos Network uh, very soon. We'll, we'll announce details around that. What popped into my head when we were talking? So you were talking about Uber. We started talking about Web3 and everything kind of moving towards decentralization. Uh, started getting me think, you know, are we going to have a, a decentralized Uber? A Duba. Are we going to have a Duba, um, a Dotify, yeah, I, I uh, so. a Damazon? You know, <laughs> are they coming and how quickly? I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting. Uber is one of the ones that I use as an example because it gives people an example of what you can do with APIs. It's not just price data. And it's also an application that's been subject to kind of centralization and legislation, um, preventing it launching in some places. So Uber is always quite an intuitive one. Um, and also most people have taken an Uber, so it's very relatable. Spotify, the other ones, that, that is actually pretty interesting as well, because I think especially the issue of royalties is one that a lot of um, big, big musicians, issues, yeah. a lot of people in that industry are having a lot of problems with. So yeah, that's actually one that I'd really like to see. Um, I guess with that, if you have music it has to be stored somewhere and then the storage layer is something that in the current layer ones, um, most of the current layer ones that we're compatible with isn't necessarily uh, taken as a priority. So it's something that, yeah, we're happy to explore with any any blockchain like yourselves where that's that's thought of in, in more depth and creating kind of bigger, a more rounded solution for dApps rather than just having a smart contract environment. Yeah, absolutely. And of, and of course, the Kudos ecosystem will become the, you know, the decentralized AWS uh, and Azure. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what, what we're going for, bring blockchain and, and cloud computing together. Okay, visionary question here, and uh, this is a bit like a you know what, what's the price of Bitcoin going to be like on February the eleventh in twenty twenty five or something? But how long do you think it will be until the internet does a full transition over to Web three? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, I guess what you'd probably see, and this is just guesswork, is something similar to the adoption of the internet happening to get people onto Web three. So people started using the internet more as websites appeared that became very usable and offered good UX and allowed them to really buy things online easily. But at the same time as these appearing, you needed the other tooling around it to appear and to work well. So, I mean, I used Mosaic, I used original Netscape Navigator um, on ancient PCs with turbo buttons and it was you, you pretty don't, frustrating you don't look that old, thing. No, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, so... and. When you have dial-up, when you have those ancient browsers, it, nothing really works that well. And it almost feels like we're there, where some people are going to like Saturday clubs at schools where there are PCs that you interface with, and you might not have one at home. You might not use it very often. Um, and everything's a bit clunky, but it does kind of work. So, And as more layer ones come out, more roll-ups come out, the UX gets better each time. So if you're using things on a roll-up, it seems much faster. It seems much easier. The gas price is less of a pain. Same with alternative layer ones. And I think as that improves, people will want to explore and want to build more things on them. And then as decent dApps are built, 
people will start improving the tooling and the ability to use them as well. So I think it'll start to snowball. And the, the adoption of the internet was pretty much like that. So it started off very niche, very geeky, and then became something where it was a massive advantage if you could use the internet compared to if you couldn't, and people were learning how to program, learning how to write websites. And now it's everywhere. Now everything is online. And you're at a real disadvantage if you don't use it. So I, I don't think it'll be immediate. I think it'll pick up with time as the tooling gets better, as everything improves. And part of improving the tooling is making sure these APIs are there so that people who want to build a DAP that takes advantage of better layer ones, lower transactions, et cetera, have the ability to do that with the existing API tools that they use to build standard applications. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, we've... Uh... Um, probably a similar age to to yourself, but you know, we went. I went through that the whole early internet and uh, watched it adopt it. Okay, I wasn't really paying attention too much to it at the time in the in the early nineties, but you know, I was around at the time and remember the dial up when it came in in the mid nineties, and you know, and so on and so forth. But more more so um, uh, with cloud when you know that started as a it, it came out of nowhere really in kind of two thousand eight. I know AWS had kind of formed a platform a couple of years before that, but you know it wasn't really a thing. Um, data center space was still very much kind of co-location selling the racks, and it evolved very quickly. But you know, even even still, um, going through two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, wasn't really until two thousand thirteen that you had Microsoft start coming out with uh, Azure and um, you know Google and uh, and and some of the other big players. So. It took a long time, is what I'm trying to, to, to say on that piece. Uh, even though it was a really fast-moving uh, industry, it still took a long time for that kind of full adoption. So, I, I think we got another ten years to go um, uh, until you know everything has moved across. But you know, you'll start and get into the kind of laggard space then when it's those last industries that are um, yeah, coming yeah. over. But I think, timeline-wise, I, I think yeah, I think. I, I don't know. I, I want to say sooner, but I don't know if that's mm. just me being optimistic. Um, I, I don't. Yeah. I think. I think you know. We'll get into the. Mass I think for adoption widespread curve. adoption, ten years is probably oh. right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. The, the, the that curve was absolutely oh, it's starting now, in my opinion. You know, the the, yeah. amount, the amount of innovation is going on in this space, but it will take a you know a long term uh, time together. I mean, face Facebook, for example. I mean, this is this is on the metaverse and their recent announcement that they're going to hire ten thousand people in Europe to build it. Uh, and there, and um, you know, this follows two months ago when uh, Zuckerberg himself said that they want to have everything metaverse by 2025. So they're saying, you know, uh, three and a bit years with 10,000 uh, developers, product owners, uh, project managers, you know, um, to to build that. So you know, that's an example of yes, this is going to move super quick, but at the same time, it's still very complex and takes a long time to move. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that announcement about Facebook. Yeah, it came, it came out yesterday, I think it was. 10,000 people in, in Europe are looking to hire to build the metaverses. Nice. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always it's strange seeing big companies adopt it like that and go head on into it. But then you still have things like Steam saying, Steam banning games that use NFTs. So yeah, I saw that yesterday I mean, as well. Some companies go down the adoption route, others are yet to get there. And I, I'm sure at some point, if everybody else starts allowing it, that Steam will look into it again. But yeah, it is strange. And actually, kind of the, the dawn of Ethereum came about because I think Vitalik had one of his items in World of Warcraft nerfed and wanted a way to trustlessly maintain ownership of things. Is that correct? Is that real? So yeah, oh, right. so like okay. blockchain, like Valve banning NFTs is, is almost like a callback to how Ethereum originally came about. Wow. Do you know what? You are teaching me so much today. 
is unbelievable. <laughs> so I've got I've got one I've got one last question, and then I'm going to let you um, you know go get your dinner for for the evening after your long drive today. Uh, and this question was originally for your colleague Ben because I know he's head of growth for um, API three. So um, answer it in the way that you would like to. But you know, I, I've, we've been talking a lot internally about the network effect. Right? So the network effect is extremely important within um, businesses these days. But you know, within blockchain space, if we take it into there because of the open community nature. It's, you know, um, being able to bring people into the network and create that effect, which is going to draw other people in. So users, stakers um, on our network, it would be, you know, miners as well that are providing that kind of supply into the network. So all of these different areas, you want to try and create that snowball effect, essentially, where it's um, bringing people in. So what what are, um, what are API3 doing in that respect? Yeah, so... I think you mentioning trying to get the different layers of your community together is, is kind of similar to what we're doing. Uh, being an Oracle project is difficult because when you sit between real world and blockchain, you have a lot of business development to do to get everybody aligned. So we need obviously the data providers to be there and provide data, but you also need people who are going to use the data to bring value to the data providers. And you also need platforms that are going to be there to create these applications on. Otherwise, and if you don't have these three parts, it becomes very difficult to scale. And it's like, a, it is a chicken and the egg problem because some providers you speak to and they'll say, well, what use cases do you have in mind? But then you speak to an application. They say, well, we want this kind of data. Do you already have it? So there's a lot of work going in to making sure that people are connected and ready to go as soon as production is ready and explaining how everything's likely to work. So it helps a lot the way that we've designed Airnode is that it can be run um, in the early stages, it can be run more or less for free. So it can sit in free tier for various different cloud providers. You can use different um, RPC API providers that wouldn't charge anything. Um, and it's important to note here that we let Airnode's operators use multiple so that we're not vulnerable to say, if you're going down, alchemy going down, you'd have to see three or four or five, or there's no limit technically of them go down simultaneously. So. We provide quite a robust service, but also one that lets people not have any outgoings until they're getting heavy usage. So it means that if you're interested and maybe want to provide data to blockchain, you can do that without there being a set expense until your data is used. And that means then that it's much easier to speak to people who are looking to use the data because you can say, we have this data for you already. That's fine. Let's let's talk through a timeline on how this is going to work. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, Dave, this has been absolutely fascinating. Before we close out, any any final thoughts from yourself? Uh, no, other than to say I'm looking forward to getting everything working. Kudos, and it's uh, it's been great working with you guys. And yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing everything everything in production. Excellent. You've heard it here first. Actually, this is pre-recorded, so there's probably been an announcement that's gone out already. But they all tie into each other. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much uh, once again for joining us on the Kudos Cast. Uh, and for everyone that's tuned in as well, um, at home, at work, in the car, wherever that may be, thank you very much for joining us on this week's Kudos Cast. It's been a blast. Thanks, everyone. A huge, huge thank you for tuning in. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, Algorand and AMD. For more details, you can check them out in the description and support this podcast. For more content from Kudos, you can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Medium, and you can also join our communities on Telegram. Until next time, adios and au revoir.